Friendship has been a most precious and rare commodity to the Incredible Hulk. Few have dared to offer that friendship, and few still have remained by his side for long after the offer has been made. No wonder then that, when the loneliness in his tortured heart becomes too much to bear, the massive man bird seeks the company of a certain magician who has been a comforting constant in his life in the Pharaoh. My name is Conrad, along with my co-host Drew, and welcome to the 21st episode of Stranger by the Dozen, the weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. You can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. You can contact the podcast at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at strangerbythetwelve, that's strangerbythetwelve, on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com, or on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. Hey, how's it going this week, Drew? It's going pretty great, Conrad. All right. Hey, so just so everybody uh, remembers, we're doing another sh- uh, short week this week. This one's going to be uh, Stranger by the by the two-thirds dozen. <laughs> As we jump through, um, and we're just going to do eight issues this episode. Luckily, several of the issues are actually pretty long, so <laughs> it should end up being a normal-sized podcast. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to see a bunch of um, annuals and prestige format comics and stuff that should be pretty exciting. So let's get started right away with uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual 14 from January 1980, The Book of the Vishanti. Denny O'Neill and Frank Miller co-creators, Tom Palmer Inks, Joe Rosen Letterer, Ben Sean Colorist, Al Milgram Editor, Jim Shooter Editor-in-Chief. As we've said in previous issues, annuals are big comics that come out either like either to tell continuity free stories to get people interested in the comics or as big events to wrap up an extended storyline and this is one of the first kind so we open i just want to quickly point out that there is a actually kind of a big name here in the uh the credits this week for yeah frank uh, miller yeah that's huge yeah he does the art he does the art in this one it's pretty awesome well actually I think, um, from what I'm told, from what I, I sort of heard in scuttlebutt of things, Frank Miller was supposed to start, was set to start drawing a Doctor Strange comic for a while, but instead he uh, took over on Daredevil instead for his uh, historic run there. All right, no, that was a really good run of Daredevil too. Yeah, because that's always if you like, I've I've read a couple or. I read a graphic novel that was the Frank Miller's Daredevil run, and it sort of opened up with him sort of being adrift in the company and being like, oh yeah, maybe you can draw the this upcoming Doctor Strange plot or something, and then he sort of starts talking to other folks and gets started on Daredevil instead. So it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a really neat comic, and it's got a bunch of big bad guys and big crossover stuff, as we see right away, because we open in Latveria in the castle of Doctor Doom. Um, Doctor Doom has made has completed a 10-year-long scientific plan to send one of his minions into the realm of Dormammu by uh, mixing science and technology together. The two of them form a, or the uh, minion that Dormammu has sent to the Dark Dimension, Dilby, (laughs) 
gains knowledge of science and technology and this pact that Dormammu has forged with that Dormammu is forged with Doctor Doom and so Dilby's able to make this big uh, silver blue robot basically it's yeah yeah like it's a magic robot a magic bot I don't know sure yeah but uh it's uh whatever yeah. it's a powerful thing and their magic is is good but they know there's one person that uh, could still mess with their plans. And so we smash cut to Dr. Strange reading books in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Wong calls him because they've received a, uh, a package in the lobby of the Sanctum Sanctorum. Oh, man, I wonder what it is. Oh, uh, well, they open it up, and it's a mummy. Oh, no. Oh, no, wait. It's the robot. Oh, no, even worse. <laughs> so... Doctor Strange is a big magic fight with a robot, but because it's also a technology thing, he has trouble overcoming it with his magic to the point where he even tries like hitting it with a uh, random with a uh, big uh, torch and stuff like that. But it's no good. Both he and Wong are overpowered by the robot, and Doctor Strange tries to escape in his astral form. But as he does, when he reaches the outside of the Sanctum Sanctorum, he finds a horde of like spectral creatures of like yellow arm or, or you know pure that are all yellow and angry waiting for him like tiny little spiny demons with these little yeah. tails and stuff yeah and so they drag him back into the sanctum and before but before they finally can he sets off a uh, a like a a psychic flare to call one of the various superheroes in new york city you'd think to come and help him like anybody really because they're all in new york yeah, well, they're all theoretically in New York, but it turns out they're all out of town. It flies by the Upper East Side home of Matthew Murdoch. It flies past the Baxter Building, uh, Avengers Mansion, everything, but nobody's around. <laughs> Until finally, it hits the brain of New York City, of Empire State University grad student Peter Parker, a.k.a. Uh, the Spider-Man. <laughs> so... Peter Parker's teaching a uh, college-level chemistry class when suddenly there's a big explosion, and he's like, all right, class dismissed. I got to go superheroing. And so as he runs out of the of the campus into the quad, it's suddenly the most uh, crowded college campus in the history of, of time. As he bumps into, like, two, as he bumps into the two most important people in his life, like one, like, his, uh, his professor, who's his boss, or no, sorry, the dean of the college. And then while also trying to... Uh, find a place to change into Spider-Man. He runs into his current girlfriend, minor Spider-Man girlfriend, Deb Whitman. She doesn't matter. She's, one, not Mary Jane Watson, and two, not Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy? Yeah. That's true. Plus, she's got glasses. What a nerd. <laughs> Burn. Um, anyhow, Peter Parker does his... Does his usual thing where he blows the girl off and she feels sorry for himself. And I say, stop dating Peter Parker, girls, uh, ladies of New York. You're better than that. Seriously, he's a, she's just a jerk, man. Yeah, he just he does it all the time. And so he cancels their date to, uh, you know, go see this punk band perform uh, later that night. That's what I'm planting that seed for now anyhow <laughs> spider-man makes his way across the city as he does he's attacked by gargoyles and has to have a big uh, gargoyle fight across this the roof the rooftops of new york city as thunder and lightning um plays across the sky he manages to take him out pretty effectively though so, in the end um 
it's too noisy for some random lady who yells at him like hugely. And then it just like webs her in the face because Peter Parker's a massive jerk. Hey, listen, this lady, she was like exerting all of her um, pent up frustrations about everything on on Spider Man that night. He like hippies and discotheques and all that stuff and he's like listen i gotta go save the world or whatever (laughs) what a jerk yeah well you know so as he arrives at the sanctum uh spider-man's attacked by the the same yellow guys that dragged the uh, astral form of dr strange down but they're invisible to everybody but him so instead spider-man just kind of goes flying around um greenwich village all crazy and everyone's like oh man someone take a picture of uh this quaint greenwich village type or whatever look at that guy it's it's totally like spider-man going all nuts and wait no they say it must be the muppets yeah i don't know but so eventually he manages to cut free of them get to the roof of the sanctum sanctorum where he finds a huge hole in the roof, which apparently was from the big uh, robot making its escape or something. Anyhow, there's like a huge hole in the roof and then holes going down, like one, two, like three floors or whatever, to the f- ground floor of the um, Sanctum Sanctorum. <laughs> Lowering himself inside, Spider-Man finds Wong, who's just uh, come to after the fight with the robot. And Wong says that the doctor was able to send, that Doctor Strange sent him a psychic message that means nothing to him, but could mean something to Spider-Man. C-B-G-B. But what could it mean? It's so strange and and weird and, oh wait, it's a punk band. It's, that's right. It's a, it's a punk, it's a punk it, place. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a pretty, it's a, it's a fairly famous like punk rock club in uh, New York City. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah. So Spider-Man uh, makes his way there, and not realizing that Doctor Strange is in fact magically tied up in the roof of this establishment, he just goes onto the main floor in, spe- in Peter Parker um, get-up, not realizing that, oh, this is where he's going to meet Deb Whitman tonight. <laughs> and she still showed up, going to see the band anyway, not just going to do with Peter Parker. And now it's awkward. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, you came here anyway? It's like, oh, that's really weird. Um... Yeah, let's go get some coffee, and I'll try to make some mistakes or something. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll offer to take you out for late night dinner, and we can try to patch things up and stuff. Nah. Yeah, because as as he even as he offers this, everyone from the club starts wandering out onto the streets, chanting a uh, band sinister, band sinister, and you know Peter Parker's kind of blows Deb off to get Spider-Man as you do you yep. know what I mean so he's he, Spider-Man patrols the uh the skyline as the Ben sinister crowds march in lockstep and grow larger and larger finally making their way to the Latvian embassy oh no oh no where we see the ghostly form or not ghostly but like you know mysterious form of Dibley in front of a huge moon suddenly destroy the roof of the of that varian embassy revealing a giant gem with dr strange tied to the front of it he begins to cast the uh the spell that will cause the ben sinister and presumably bad stuff happening to the entire world you know right right so uh spider-man decides it's you know spider-man time (laughs) 
yeah. swings in to fight him, and it's a Spider-Man versus robot versus magic robot time. Sure. Yeah, some pretty solid Spider-Man magic robot fighting as they swing and fly through the skies of New York City. Eventually, Spider-Man realizes that he won't be able to defeat the robot through conventional fighting means. So instead, he webs the robot off. He webs the robot up and flies it directly into the huge gem, destroying it. Oh, man. I the mean, Ben it's a, it's a pretty yeah. legit strategy, you know? I mean, you know, when in doubt, fly one thing into the other thing. That's a pretty basic uh, plot line, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good Spider-Man technique, you know? It's like the, how, the, how the standard Superman operating procedure is when in doubt, uh, throw it into space, you know? Uh-huh. Spider-Man's like, like swing, it, swing this thing into that thing. Done. Yeah. Like, you got webs, you know? Step one, you web it. Okay, that didn't work. Now, web one thing into another thing. Done. <laughs> yeah, that's his flowchart. <laughs> so, Doctor Strange is now free, and oh man, he's going to make this Dibley guy pay, but... Dibley, and while Dibley manages to erect a magic shield to protect him from Doctor Strange, it's not enough to protect him from this giant purple hand that appears out of a portal and drags him to God to God knows where. With Dibley uh, dealt, it's time to pick up the pieces. Or with Dibley dealt with, it's time to pick up the pieces. Um, like Doctor Strange thanks Spider-Man for his help. But when Spider-Man asks Doctor Strange, like, what's up with the Ben Sinister and stuff? Um... Doctor Strange is like, don't worry about it, buddy. I can't tell you that. Just Man, uh, that, that is that is above your pay grade. Don't even bother. Yeah, thanks for the assist. I'm gonna fly away. And Spider Man's like, that's it. These people are ingrates. I'm not helping nobody. Punches a tree in half. He punches a tree in half and says, uh, "If anybody ever asks me for help psychically again, or I'm ignoring all telepathic messages forever now." Ugh. <laughs> And uh, meanwhile, in Latveria, Doctor Strange or uh, Doctor Doom, I should say, gets a gem with a miniature uh, Dilby trapped inside, and he puts it on his shelf with the rest of the uh, trapped miniature dudes. Apparently, that he has. Like, oh well, back to the drawing board, I suppose. Like, that's just another another ten years in the life of Doctor Doom, I guess. Just another lab assistant, totally dead. Yeah, his life is going to change pretty dramatically, and oh, I don't know. 40 years I mean it changes dramatically all the time yeah but like really dramatically <laughs> oh don't don't tease me with your knowledge of modern comic books Drew you're still <laughs> here here in the 80s where things are new and fresh <laughs> all right and we ourselves moved to uh, X-Men Annual 4 from November 1980 Nightcrawler's Inferno uh, Chris Claremont writer, John Romita Jr. and Bob McLeod artists, Tom Orzakowski letterer, Glennis Wine colorist, Louise Jones editor and Jim Shooter editor in chief. And we go from one um, big star of '80s comics, uh, Frank Miller, in the in the last annual, to another Chris Claremont in this one. It's good times. Yep. So, before we start here, I thought I'd do just some like X Men backstory, I guess. Just to kind of give everybody a sense of where we are in the X-Men, because they change a lot and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's a pretty small team at the moment. It's just uh, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine, with uh, Kitty Pride as a junior member. And like she doesn't even have a superhero name yet, you know? And she'll go through like three of them before she finally gets to Shadowcat in like 1988 or something. 
Man, you, you, but, can't, you can't rush these things. These things take time. It's true. So it's a, it's it's been about three months since the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, Jean Grey is dead, or dead in like quote unquote dead, and it's better not to get into it. It's, and, it's, uh, it's comic book dead. So, yeah. I mean, uh, like right now, her body is cocooned in Jamaica Bay, and actually, the Dark Phoenix was a representation of the international of the intergalactic Phoenix Force, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Cyclops has less, left the team to find himself. So everybody's pretty battered, and that's why this current event means so much. And just so Duncan knows, we're still uh, 10 years away from Gambit, just FYI. But so he's, he's like, going to be real excited when Gambit starts showing up. Uh, get out of here. So uh, <laughs> it's Nightcrawler's birthday, and the X-Men are celebrating. And while everyone enjoys the revelry, Kitty Pride still feels like an an outsider among the group and as Kurt begins opening his gifts one of them turns out to be a crystal statue of himself I guess when he opens it it explodes in his face enveloping him in a black cloud which knocks him out and the X-Men rush him to the infirmary where Professor X can examine him and despite their best efforts Kurt is dead oh no it's bad uh, the X-Men mourn, of course, and everybody's feels really sad when there's a knock on the door. And who could it be but Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts? Oh, yeah, buddy. Uh, don't you mean Doctor Strange physician? I mean, he can do a couple things. Yeah, I know. It's just that he... he yeah, he, he introduces himself as a physician, that's true. But then seconds later, we don't even get a chance to see his real outfit before he... Um, transfers into his uh, superhero costume and he introduced himself as uh, a physician but also master of the mystic arts all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah so he believes that the attack on kurt was mystical in nature or sorry professor x believed that the attack on kurt was mystical in nature dr strange uh confirm uh scans him to confirm this and he also reveals that kurt isn't dead but merely in a state of suspended animation with some mystical force that has taken the hold of his soul he investigates the force, demands it appears, and complying, we see the uh, green horned face of Margali, who's a Marvel superhero lady who's green skin and big old horns. Oh, yeah. Pretty red. Yeah, Pretty she comes red. from. It's cool, man. Uh, she, her face comes from the dark void, and suddenly everybody in the room is being attacked by crazy magic snakes. Professor X and, and Shadow and uh, Kitty Pride manage to escape from the room as the magic snakes pull everybody in, and as they re-enter the room, everybody's gone. That is uh, Doctor Strange, Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, and Nightcrawler. They all have suddenly moved to a, a new plane of existence. They awaken to find themselves in a hellish realm, pretty clearly based on Dante's Inferno. Yeah, giant door with uh, words uh, scrawled on it. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, especially ending in a abandon every hope, ye that enter, you know. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So so I guess uh uh notice the notice the realm of hell from from the poem and they sort of make their way through the gates and then across the river Acheron, greeted by the ferryman known as Charon. It's pretty funny because um like Doctor Strange has been to hell fairly recently, I guess. Yeah, yeah ish. Like like, maybe, like, 30, 30 Doctor Strange episodes, I get. Or, like, you know, in Doctor Strange 16. Yeah. Um, and we're on 45 right now. But, like, so, like, 30 comic, like, two years, well, I guess four years ago. 
But he went to hell and fought the devil with that uh, James Mandarin guy who was actually see later in this episode as well. So he knows hell, and it was not like this. It wasn't like it wasn't like the book, basically. <laughs> but anyhow, they take the ferry across the river. Charon sort of warns them that if they keep messing around with hell, they'll sp- share the same fate as Nightcrawler. But they don't care, buddy. They're ready to go. They make their way to the gates of hell where they're greeted by Minos, who's doing his best impression of uh, the master of ceremonies from the movie Cabaret, you know? Yeah. Will Coleman, Bienvenu, all that stuff. Yeah, so basically, Minos explains that Kurt's here, that Kurt's in hell to pay for his crimes on Earth, although he's not sort of forthcoming on what those crimes might be. And everybody's like, hey, like, you know, Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler's a good dude. He wouldn't do stuff that's hell-worthy, right? Yeah, and no. Minos is like, no way, you're totally going to hell. And so he, a tentacle appears and um, throws Kurt into the pits of hell. It's cool. Although I would say that, you know, Kurt's a pretty decent guy. I mean, he's one of the better of the actual X-Men. Like, he's way better than, like, Wolverine. Like, Wolverine's killed, like, 50 dudes. Oh, yeah, 50. Probably more than 50. At least. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty early in in, in his career at this point. So, so Kurt gets tossed into hell. Um, Storm flies after him, tried to rescue him, and catches him over the circles. But a wind... The, the winds there and the harpies that they have to fight, like, send them down into the second circles of hell and stuff. So it's time for the boy, for the team to go after her and try to recover Storm. Along the way, they fight Cerberus, who's, a you know, the crazy three-headed demon dog. So they don't actually... Oh, good. He looks more lionish, really? Like, he's got, like, we- a weird, like, dreadlocked mane or something like that. Yeah. If- of a sort of like blue, uh, purple and blue coloring, but they eventually, you know, they manage to beat Karen. They make their way through a couple other, like, tricks and traps inside of hell, finally making their way to the great pit where they find like a bunch of like snakes and demons and stuff. One among them is, um, and and uh, they, they find Storm's body, but she's all mutated. I guess she's already mutated, but you know what I mean. She's well, all weird looking. More so. Yeah. And Doctor Strange, and it, but it turns out to be a fake out, as you do in hell, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Where um, it turns out that like a de- like Storm is turned into like a snake, and some demon took her body, and it's a whole thing. But they managed to get it worked out, so it's good times. And eventually, eventually, Drew. Yes. They make their way to the frozen center of hell, where they find Satan himself. Or so they think. Dun, dun, dun. What? Yeah. Doctor Strange waves his hand and finds out that it's not Satan. It's that Margali lady who is, like, pretty hot for a green-skinned demon lady. That's true. (laughs) We're in this kind of low-cut number. Yeah. It turns out that here's where things start going fast and are weird. <laughs> like, I guess some lady from Nightcrawler's childhood suddenly appears, uh, Jemaine, who um, yelled, who like calls on her mother to end this illusion and not kill the man she loves, who's Nightcrawler. I don't know. But Doctor Strange and Marigali have a big de- wizard fight, and 
eventually Doc, uh, Nightcrawler like submits and says that he'll accept Margali's um, judgment and be killed um, in response for someone who he Nightcrawler murdered in the past as well. And Colossus is like, no way, like Nightcrawler's my bro. He would kill anybody. I refuse to believe this um this judgment. You know what I mean? And so it becomes flashback time. And we flash back to Hey, uh Nightcrawler being a kid. Grew up in a circus in Central Europe. Oh yeah. Gypsies Wild. and whatnot. Yeah, you know, heavy gypsies. Working for the uh yeah, taken up by the gypsy witch queen, Margali Sizdaros. And raised as one of her own, he became he became blood brothers with her son Stefan. But then, and they made a pact, or Stefan always feared the dark side of his soul, I guess. <laughs> and he swore that if I he, he swore he said, "Swear to me, Kurt, if I ever turn evil, if I ever take an innocent life, that you will kill me," which is a crazy blood oath to make with somebody. Drew, don't make that blood oath. With yeah, people. that's a bit of a weird ask. But I guess it was cool for these guys. And then that guy did, and then Stefan did kill somebody. And so Nightcrawler had to kill him, though he was super duper bummed about it. And uh, I guess minutes after doing so, he was uh, pursued by the mob of villagers that eventually led him to the X Men. <laughs> As Nightcrawler explains this and how he only killed Stefan because it was what Stefan demanded of him as a blood brother. Margali returns the X-Men to the X-Mansion where she uh, realizes that like Kurt was also her adopted son and she appreciates that sometimes brothers got to do for brothers even if that means killing each other um, because they've gone evil basically that's a really weird like blood oath yeah I'm not gonna do I gotta say I have a brother and I don't know if I could kill him even if he could even if he had even if he did turn evil which he maybe did Anyhow, <laughs> um, the the lady who, or the daughter of Margali, who I guess is also Kurt's adopted sister, I suppose, now reveals herself to be Kurt's girl, current girlfriend, Amanda Sefton, which is weird. <laughs> because, like, what if you found out your girlfriend was your long-lost adopted sister who you, like, grew up with? That, That's... There... There's some, there's some things to unpack here that just don't sit quite right. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Inside this retelling of Dante's Inferno with superheroes. But, sure. <laughs> but, but they seem... Whatever. Yeah, they seem happy about it, so I guess that's okay. Um, I guess? I don't know. Like, for me, finding out that the like woman I currently love is also... Um, the my half the the woman that I grew up with as a as a, and I loved like a sister would not be good news, but it is for Nightcrawler. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody hugs and is happy except for Kitty for Kitty Pride who's not super happy. And then Wolverine calls over like, "Hey, you're an X Men too. Like, get in on this group hug action." And then everybody's happy. It's good times, and everybody walks off into the sunset. And Doctor Strange is, is uh, stoked because he's now an official Marvel character, Drew, because he did he's a finally... team up with the X-Men. All yeah. right. And Wolverine especially. Yeah. Like, he done team-ups with Spider-Man and Wolverine this episode, so he's a f- he's super-duper official um, 
uh, Marvel superhero guy right now. It's only taken him 20 years, but he got there. <laughs> I mean, he predates Wolverine by a lot, despite their, <laughs> despite their um, relative levels of fame. You know what I mean? But he got there. <laughs> yeah, finally. All right. So let's go to Doctor Strange 45 from February 1981. Wizard of the West Village. Chris Claremont writer. Gene Colan and diverse hands. Um, inkers, which means there's a whole bunch of inkers for this episode, for this issue. Uh, Jim Novak, letterer. Uh, Carl Gafford, colorist. Joe Duffy, editor. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. Yeah, so there's like eight people who do the actual inking for this issue. Among them is Wendy Penny, who's probably most famous for the classic comic ElfQuest. This is one of her few pieces of Marvel work. Nice. Yeah, so we open with uh, the front page of the New York Daily Globe, which has published a front page story outing Doctor Strange as a, uh, as a wizard. Like the cover is Wizard of the West Village, Please call Doctor Strange on ritual murders. And uh, from there we go to the Daily Globe offices where Doctor Strange is talking to the editor of the newspaper, Mr. Starrett, and sort of trying to persuade him to not post stories about him being a wizard and stuff. And Starrett's like, no, man, you're a uh, a public figure, so I'm going to cover you like crazy because I'm a jerk editor guy, basically. (laughs) The last, like, ah, the last one or two... Doctor Strange issues we've seen have has, has sort of had seeds of this subplot with people sort of following Doctor Strange as he does stuff and being like, ah, oh, like, Doctor Strange is back in town. He's back from reality. Or he's back in this reality, so i got to call Mr. Starrett, you know? At the same time, even as this happens, his um, no-good reporter goons are planning to wiretap uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum. I mean, it could be worse. He could be trying to deal with J. Jonah. I mean, J. Dudo Jameson won't even look for evidence. He'll just put a picture and then just slander you, if you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, like I said, he could just be dealing with J. Jonah and just having to deal yeah, with that Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I don't think Doctor Strange is, you know, you got to do a lot more legwork for Doctor Strange. You don't just have candid photos dropping in your lap because of uh, Peter Parker's journalistic lack of integrity or whatever. <laughs> Seriously, though, Peter Parker's no. a terrible person. Shots fired. <laughs> so yeah, so we've got Doctor. So we've got Starrett's guys trying to break in to, or not breaking in, pretending to be like a water and power guys and plant bugs in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. So that so the uh, undercover reporter guy goes to the basement of the Sanctum along with Wong to find the junction box. And when they get down there, oh no, there's a flash of light, and it's like arg. Seriously, trying to sneak into the Sanctum Sanctorum and do anything is just going to be a bad time for you. I mean, you definitely don't want to do it. <laughs> there's weird <laughs> stuff. There's weird stuff in there. Like it. It'd be like, um, yeah. There's no, yeah. I, I guess it's like the Adams Family house where you just sort of behind every door is several monsters. Except in Doctor Strange's house, they'll eat you instead of just sort of look at the camera and be like, ah, it's a living. <laughs> So, meanwhile, I guess, uh, Doctor Strange and Clay are at the plaza enjoying a romantic meal. And at the same time, uh, Sarah Wolf, who's Doctor Strange's new social secretary and accountant and stuff, goes into the sanctum with her key. 
and she can't find Wong, and she starts looking around, and she decides to go in the basement because whatever. <laughs> or no, I guess because the door is open, so it's like, oh, this looks suspicious, and Wong isn't around, and he usually is. But as she goes in there, she gets hit by a white light and an eye as well. Maybe people should learn to stop going into the basement. Nah. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Doctor Strange and Clea are back at the uh, plaza when they have a fight, and Clea sort of runs out. Doctor Strange follows her, but not before conjuring a bunch of gold coins on the table as he leaves, which... <laughs> I, I love when he makes money just because it's such a I mean it's such an obvious magic spell but it's also like what is a waiter at a restaurant even a fancy rest, restaurant like the plaza gonna do with like a hundred doubloons you know what I mean like wow. that's not that's not money you know you can't like pay for your you, you can't buy you can't buy dinner with gold coins Drew it's just not the species of the, of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Sorry, everybody. I'm on vacation. There's sirens and stuff. That's how it goes. That's why I vacation. <laughs> Anyhow, after uh, they run out and Doctor Strange makes some gold coins to cover his escape, uh, Assassin's Creed style, I suppose, the two of them finally find, uh, meet each other in Central Park, as they often do, and just sort of have a heart-to-heart and it's sort of the same. It's sort of the same fight they've been having for the whole time, where they're trying to find a balance between Clea being Doctor Strange's disciple and being his girlfriend, basically. Like this conversation has been going on for a long time, and they're sort of have, having trouble sorting it out. It seems like. Yeah, this was never going to end well, anyway. Yeah, we're sort of we're sort of on countdown for it for this relate for the end of this relationship, Drew. I'll tell you this right now, just yep. because. Like, uh, we're at, like, sort of T-minus eight at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as they... But they, they make up at this point and make their way back to the Sanctum Sanctorum where they find Editor Starrett, like, banging his fists on the doors of the Sanctum Sanctorum. Like, you know, ah, you... You uh, captured my undercover reporters and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> you know? Hey, my guys are trying to break into your house and bug everything, but you captured them. That makes you the That's, bigger jerk. Yeah, you're the bad guy. <laughs> as Doctor as Starrett yells at uh, Doctor Strange, Clea walks in, and we hear her scream as well because apparently just everybody's drawn to this basement like a Venus flytrap or something like that. Let's all Every- go into the basement because it seems like a great idea. Yeah. So both of them, so Starrett and Doctor Strange, um, barge in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Starrett in a wise move tries to go upstairs and Dr. Strange is like, no way, you're coming with me, buddy. You can't. I'm not going to let you loose in the sanctum. No way. So everybody goes down to the uh, basement and it turns out that, hey, it's fight time because they're being assaulted by one of the Ngari demons, which were the sort of, they were mostly off screen, but they were the demons that were empowering the guys in the demon in not the demon dimension, the dimension that we were at in our last Doctor Strange episodes, where like uh, Wong's ancestors allowed evil sorceresses an, an evil sorceress to become the ruler of the dimension. Do you remember that, Drew? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that evil sorceress like got her powers from these demons called the Ingari, and they're kind of a a popular or they're a type of demon that uh, Chris Claremont 
who writes who wrote the x-men and wrote this issue of dr strange likes a lot like they also appeared in an x-men episode where cyclops like destroyed a bunch of stones in the backyard of the x-mansion and then summoned them into being and, and the x-men had to fight these demons i mean they're pretty they're pretty awesome looking a little weird looking like they have multiple limbs and stuff and giant fangs yeah, they're pretty cool looking yeah they're kind of his go-to generic demon guy you know what i mean yeah but so whatever <laughs> it's wizard fight time that's basically how it goes dr strange manages to save clea but then um the one of Starrett's workers and Sarah Wolf and Wong all get sucked through this dimensional porthole. And then when they come back out, they are um, wizard. They, they, they are um, evil warrior guys. Like their souls have been taken and they are, um, they exist only to serve the Angari. So Dr. Strange has to fight his friends and be care- so be careful not to kill them, but just sort of depossess them basically. And as all this is going on, Starrett's just kind of, um, wandering the mansion getting into trouble basically like okay uh, all, all this chaos is going on in the basement and like the first thing he does is like well i'm gonna poke around and see what i can find absolutely oh. yeah i mean that's what you do he finds a, a box of little dude inside he tries messing around with the book of the vishanti just as uh, dr strange flies up an astral form to try to find a good spell to take these dudes out and eventually dr strange realizes that the answer is in the dagger of the silver dagger which can do some fun demon stuff. It's uh, it's pretty cool because he has to s- cure these people of possession by shanking them with a silver dagger. Basically, it's like, a pretty, it's a pretty awesome way of getting somebody depossessed. He just basically um, just just stabs Sarah Wolf and Wong and this worker dude just like in the chest. Like, all right, you're you're free. I've stabbed you effectively. <laughs> <laughs> And then cast like a pent, and then using him and and uh, Clay and the rest of them as sort of a basis of a pentagram kind of thing, like the five points of pentagram. Mm-hmm. He manages to banish the demon, like by all who were and who will ever be those of life and those of love. I say unto thee, foul, bo- foul spawn of the bottomless pit, be gone! And he banishes the demon, and it's pretty awesome. No, it's and awesome. Suddenly- yeah, suddenly there's just a, uh, a whole bunch of crap, just a big bunch of rubble down in the basement of the Sanctum Sanctorum, which presumably Wong's going to have to deal with in like a week or two. Yeah, more than likely. And uh, I suppose this will be the basis for other, the basis of other basement problems for Doctor Strange in the coming years. Adrew? Hey? Yeah, no, All right. no, he has a lot of basement problems. <laughs> a lot. So, <laughs> so uh, Starrett, seeing that Doctor Strange is not just like it's not a charlatan or some sort of fake magician but really a you know superhero magic dude trying to save the earth with magic stuff he um agrees to stop pursuing dr strange journalistically and like you're fine by me i've learned my lesson you won't be have problems with the daily globe which is good times and i and then again also clay has decided to stay with dr strange as lover and disciple and um we end very sexily with Clea saying, with, with Doctor Strange saying, uh, you've done enough work this night as my disciple. And she says, but as a lover, my work has only just begun. Which means that they're going to go do it. A chicka wow wow. Which means that they're going to be doing it while Wong is uh, cleaning up the basement. Of course it is, of course. <laughs> That's the balance of power in this relationship, bro. <laughs> You know, if there's three people involved, uh, two of them do it, one of them sweeps up. That's just kind of how it goes. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. 
<laughs> and uh, so now we're going to jump ahead in the timeline a little bit or, you know, through the mists of time to November of 1982. So a year after our la- after Doctor Strange 4045 to Marvel Fanfare 5 to steal a sorcerer to steal the sorcerer's soul. Chris Claremont writer, Marshall Rogers and Craig Russell artists. Joe Rosen, letterer, Bob Sharon, colorist, Al Milgram, editor, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. So let's talk quickly about uh, Marvel Fanfare, all right? Yes. Yes. It was a bi-monthly, which means every two months, uh, prestige comic. Like, it's printed on very nice news, very nice, like, magazine paper. And the copies I have now all look really bright and awesome. Uh, even though it's like 33 years after they were printed, basically. Nice. Um, yeah, it's like a magazine, basically, instead of uh, the, the newsprint that you normally have with comics. They're anthology comics with two stories and no ads, and then they had editorials in the front and back inside covers, which explains why this one costs a, do- a-, a buck 25 when a regular Doctor Strange issue costs 50 cents, basically. They're, they're pretty expensive, but they're also really nice. Uh, most of the stories take place outside of continuity, but we're going to do three Marvel fanfares here that have that probably happen around this time, despite the fact that they cover sort of a couple years ahead. But I think it'd be cool to just lump them to one big set so we can get sort of all of these fanfare stories out of the way. And even though we're still in 1981 with Doctor Strange, and these fanfares go through 1983. All right? All right. Yeah, so like I said, uh, these are anthology comics. They each have two stories in them. In Fanfare 5, uh, the other story sees Captain America fighting a neo-Nazi. That's the son of a Nazi that Captain America killed back in World War II. And the bad guy's trying to like rebrand Captain America as a neo-Nazi symbol. And ends up being impaled by a statue of Captain America hoisting the Nazi flag. Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. <laughs> I I did not see that coming. I mean, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for this, so for the Doctor Strange story, we also have to go back a little bit to Defenders fifty three, which we didn't cover on the podcast. And in that one, there's sort of a side story about Clea being kidnapped by a mystic named Nicodemus who saps her magical power and tries to take advantage of her. But she clocks him in the face with a statue and calls Doctor Strange, who restores her powers and does the usual uh, brainwash and send out into the world thing with Nicodemus. Well, it turns out that the brainwashing didn't stick, which it usually doesn't, and Nicodemus is back. I'm so surprised by this turn of events. Yeah, the story starts pretty creepily with like, um, well, no, it starts actually kind of where this one ends, where um, like uh, Clea and um, Doctor Strange are sort of like mid-bone, basically, <laughs> or they're about to. Like Doctor Strange is like, you know, like 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 Clea gets Doctor Strange to stop working for the night, and he's like, fine, though. Like, I wonder how much rest I'll really get. And Clea's like, I said rest, not sleep, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> bow chicka wow wow again. <laughs> Yep, they're going to be doing this while Wong is probably scrubbing a toilet or something. Definitely. So we cut to sort of a little girl in overalls running through the street. At night, in the rain. Yeah, like through like the middle of the street, like dodging cabs and stuff. 
Yep. But finally, she uh, she bangs on the wall of the Sanctum Sanctorum with both fists, and we see Do- Doctor Strange wakes up and is like, "Where's Wong?" And we get to see his sweet um, post doing it robe, which is the greatest robe in the history of time, Drew. Dude, if I could get my hands on one of those robes, I would totally get one. It's got like the symbol of the Vishanti all over it. Like it's a it's a branded Doctor Strange robe, and it's sweet as heck. I I really want one. <laughs> It's like red. Oh man, I'm gonna put pictures of uh, above it, and you just gotta see it and luxuriate in it because it's Jeez, real good. This thing is sweet looking. <laughs> so, but it turns out that the that the girl is uh, a patsy possessed by Nicodemus, who uses her um, dramatic entry, like she sort of gets allowed into the sanctum, and then she collapses to allow Nicodemus entry into the sanctum sanctorum. He tries, he sort of recaps how he got here, tries to zap uh, Clea's and Doctor Strange's abilities, but it's no good, man. Like, he sort of pulls ahead early, but in the course of the wizard fight, Doctor Strange and Clea realize that the best way to defeat Nicodemus is just to let him absorb all their powers. And, you know, it sort of overloads him. He becomes sort of almost a Dormammu-ish looking figure, but then does a thing where he screams with his hands on his head and it's like, ah, like you have too much power and I'm all burnt out. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, it's a pretty sort of basic fight, although the the art for it's really awesome. Just like there's a bunch of like mystic world things and people being blasted around in big pink uh, energy balls and stuff like that. No, it's very reminiscent of like a uh, a Ditka... Uh, otherworldly escape but like this one and i think the next one in the uh in in the in the fanfare stuff this is sort of a lot of these are sort of someone well actually no all three um (laughs) fanfare comics are someone shows up to challenge dr strange they get more than they bargained for and it's really dramatic but the story itself is kind of simple you know what i mean yeah and so this one this one ends with um Without a brainwashing, which I appreciate, <laughs> instead, sort of, Nicodemus takes in too much magical energy and blows himself out, and Doctor Strange kind of lets him go, saying, he's learned his lesson that he can't, he can't step to this, <laughs> and um, lets him go free instead of brainwashing him again, which is cool, you know. Sure. <laughs> Maybe don't brainwash people, just let them learn that, that you've beaten them, and let them stay beaten, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's like you brainwash them. It's like maybe I should go challenge that Doctor Strange guy, and then you get beat and you get brainwashed again, and like just say I'm going to go challenge that Doctor Strange guy. I feel like one of the key things that he brainwashes them of is being beaten by him. Yeah, which is like <laughs> something he needs to like you know subtly keep in there. It's like right, Doctor right, Strange other... guy. Maybe I shouldn't mess with him. Right, because I think that like when you brainwash, when you magically brainwash someone, like the part that the stuff that just happened is the easiest stuff to get rid of, whereas the long term like magical abilities usually sticks around. <laughs> Anyhow, that's it for Marvel Fanfare Five. Hey, Drew. Yes. We're at the halfway point of this of this set of comics for this episode. What do you say we take a quick break? That sounds great. All right. Next up, more Marvel Fanfare Adventures. Then we'll get back on the Defenders train as we wrap up um, Ed Hannigan's run on the comic and then begin a new adventure with your friend and mine, Eternity. Up next. Eternity. 